0: Hello, Jesse McDooley here with the Martial Arts of Money, Uh, doing a mini-series today on Winning Through Intimidation by Robert J. Ringer. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Nathan Hatton for bringing this book to my attention about five years ago. It's an absolute masterpiece for any entrepreneur, uh, considered as like an entrepreneurship Bible framework, whatever you want to call it. So uh, we've got a couple chapters left here. I think it's just two. Yeah, we've got two chapters. Okay. So we're going to do chapter 18 here. The tortoise returns to true form. By doing the right thing instead of the instinctive thing, I survived a couple of tricky number 2s. And the premise for this book is that you can organize people in business in three different types, type number 1, 2 or 3. And a number 2 is the guy who smiles and nods and what's up bro, but he has no intention of giving you any chips in the deal. Uh, in fact, this person is uh, deceptive and unethical and uh, they're pretty tricky, they're hard to spot, but the, these are the people that will use you for their gain, for their mission. And uh, these are the people to avoid. So I believe you can um, avoid these people just by being around ethical people. I think that's that's the way I'm gonna be focusing um, my career. So we're here at page 267. Okay. The tortoise returns to true form. And just so I'm reading, this book here is ready to fall apart. I should probably give Nathan a new one. I went into my Memphis deal determined never again to be lulled into a mental lapse. The Dayton fiasco had reminded me that I I must move swiftly at the first sign of trouble. Bingo. The first hint of unethical or foolery or fuckery, I'll call it. Boom. You're out. You're filtered. You're not coming to my organization, but you're not getting any of my energy. In Memphis, right from the outset, I was hoping for the best but expecting the worst with regard to receiving my commission if a sale were concluded. I was wary because my trained eye had immediately spotted the two main partners as type number twos. And and as I already pointed out, type number twos are the most devious, deceitful and treacherous of the three types of people in the business world. That's why I'm in control of the money, no one's getting screwed over. One of the partners who also happened to be an attorney was what I would describe as an over-obvious type number two. He was one of those back-slapping type guys, always laughing and joking and telling you what a good old boy you were and a wheeler-dealer-attorney who was in no way related to the normal run-of-the-mill deal-killer deal types. Wheeler and dealer attorneys either don't practice law at all or practice it only as a sideline using their law certificates respectable fronts for digging up good business deals and making most of them. And that's what I kind of, I leverage my professionalism as uh, being a chartered accountant. I don't say this facetiously or derogatory because I actually consider it to be a cleverer marketing approach. Exactly. You have to use your leverage what you got bro in fact if i had to do it over and over again and if college other than screw you did not get in the way of learning i think i'd go through law school just to be able to use the marketing approach of being an attorney i know exactly it's just uh i agree i'll go play tic-tac-toe and pass some more tests to get another uh, piece of paper on my wall sure why not The other partner was a different kind of type number two, a sort of mumbler. He was neither nice like type number three, nor direct like type number one. It was therefore very easy to belabel him. What with being constantly slapped on the back and told I was a good old boy by Wheeler dealer attorney partner and being mumbled at by the other partner, I had all I could do to protect my flanks. Naturally, I was licensed as the real estate broker in Tennessee and signed commission agreements with the sellers and made sure that the usual amount of certified mail went back and forth between my office and the principals, so I was certainly in a strong legal position. I also had the, the usual image factors going for me, including my flitting in and out of Memphis via a Learjet. Our original commission agreed and called for a purchase price of about $1.2 million over a combined first mortgage balance of approximately $3.6 million or a total purchase price of excess of $4.8 million. About a month after we signed the commission agreement, the buyer of my Dayton deal sent a, a written 10 offer $950,000 over the mortgages for the two apartment developments. He came to Memphis and made a personal inspection of the properties, at which time the sellers informed him that a 950 offer price was too low. With that, my buyer departed Memphis and the situation was left hanging in the air. In the meantime, the party who had purchased the Kansas City property made an offer of 1.4 millis. Dang! For the Memphis apartments but it was not an all-cash offer. Trooping back to Memphis with this buyer, I succeeded in getting Mumbles and Good Old Boy to sign a tentative agreement to sell at 1.4. However, after the buyer and I left Memphis, my type number two pals continued to fiddle around while both the 1.4 million offer and the 9.50 offer burned. Incredibly, About a month later, I was able to come up with still a third prospective buyer. The third buyer actually consisted of several partners for the property this time from the Pittsburgh area. One of the partners traveled to Memphis to meet Tennessee's answer to Laurel and Hardy and after many hours of discussion and negotiations, he went back home to discuss the deal with his associates. Another one of the Pittsburgh partners then came to Memphis and submitted a purchase contract that called for $1 million over the mortgages. However, it had a number of unreasonable strings attached to it, so Mumbles and Good Old Boy turned it down. About a week and a half after that, the Pittsburgh buyers upped their offer by $1.27 million, but the terms of the offer were even more unreasonable than the first one. Following the last Pittsburgh offer, my Dayton buyer then stepped back into bidding and raised his offer to $1 million with a condition that it be accepted within 20 days. And with still further resistance from Memphis, the Dayton buyer increased his bid yet again to $1.1 million, but 200000 of the purchase prices was to be in the form of a 10-year purchase money mortgage at the rate of 6% per annum. After a few more weeks of fiddling around, Mumbles and Good Old Boy managed to play all the three hands against each other so well that Memphis just about burnt down around them. Yeah, you guys are just doing, this is the old guy tactics, man, and I'm familiar with this. These guys just like screwing around and making each other compete and just, if it's a good deal, man, it's a good deal. One thing about making deals is you've got to leave something on the table for the other guy. If you're trying to, like, uh, pie split and you're not leaving profits on the table for the the future purchaser, man, you're not doing good business. You're being too much of a miser. But what would I know? Well, that actually comes from one of the richest men in Vancouver. (laughs) So, like, (laughs) that's what I know. (laughs) So, good for you. You just leveled up if you're listening to this. After a few more weeks of fiddle around, yeah, because I managed to... And it cons- consequently, they lost. Yeah, they and consequently, they lost all three deals. Exactly. This is quite a painful for me because my experience had been that if I were lucky enough to find just one buyer who was serious enough to make a personal inspection and submit a written offer on a given property, I was in great shape. I was really disgusted over the fact that in this particular deal, I had per- produced not one, not two, but three serious buyers, buyers who had been interested enough to make the personal inspection of the properties and submit written offers, yet I had still not made a sale. Even though the Memphis deal looked very makeable on the surface, I was pretty convinced that the sellers, for some reason, were intent on fiddling around until the projects went bankrupt. I was about ready to write off the whole thing as just another bad experience. Before going doing so, however, I figured that I may as well present the deal to a few more prospective buyers, and hard as it were for me to believe, I came up with yet another serious purchaser, this one from Cleveland. Like the three previous buyers, the fourth one indicated that he was prepared to make a trip to Memphis. I told myself I was a glutton for punishment and that I should not get sucked into wasting the time and expense of making a fourth trip. I was really convinced that the sellers were crazy and were just getting some sort of perverted thrill out of having people pursue the purchase of their properties. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's weird, man. People are funny with money. and fuckery. that's what I want to avoid for the rest of my business career. As you might suspect however the tortoise within me won out and back to Memphis I went. and I do want to say something here um, pause for a sec uh, just to plug myself and the value of having someone like me on your team. You're gonna have like an all-star defensive player you're gonna you're gonna be able to avoid a lot of this fuckery, as I call it, and just bullshit, Uh, because here as business players, we're high performance without uh, compromising ethics, okay, and time is money, so pick up the phone, uh, get a hold of me, it's 180 bucks an hour, 1,000 bucks for the day, let's do this, at the point it was starting to become obvious that the sellers were in serious financial trouble, Okay. In fact, they made a special trip to New York in an attempt to revive one of my previous offers in what looked like a state of panic. Mumbles sent me a telegram from New York saying that he and his partner would accept the 1.1 million verbal offer with offer the Cleveland buyer had made, but only on two conditions. The first was that I had to agree to cut my commission, $50,000. The second, that the buyer would have to officially acknowledge the $1.1 offer by noon the next day. But as I said earlier, you don't bluff wealthy people. They have staying power. My buyers, of course, refused to hurry into the acknowledgement the deal was off. Don't pressure people with a deal like that. A few days later, I received another telegram from Mumbles who was still wandering through the streets of New York trying to put a deal together, informing me, oh yeah, going off on doing his own thing. That's something that I see quite often. It's like, I'm I'm actually having to deal with this every relationship in my life right now, just to figure out what's going on. And uh, I'm just gonna pause here for a a second. I, I wanna talk about some personal experience that I've accumulated in my life that is valuable. and uh everyone wants to go off and do their own thing and i'm i'm all for that great right be the best you can be reach your true form make your dreams come true right but here's the thing where you're dumb and you're stupid and i hate saying that word i really do but i have to use that word to tell people and get your attention When you're not leveraging other people who genuinely care for your success, you're not leveraging their experience and their areas of expertise, you're a goof. You're a moron. And that's when people take advantage of you. And my pieces of paper on the wall, I provide trust and protection. And one of the things about me I'm learning is I care too much about the success of other people's business. And I need to focus on my business. And it's a bit uh, a bit of a personal here it's a bit frustrating I, I guess to say at the least but it's also a bit of a joke uh, I have found gold I have found oil you know you see the movie with Matthew McConaughey the gold one and all that kind of stuff and they found the gold and you just got to get it out of the mines like I, I found that I just need people to stop fucking with my business I need time I need some uh, practical money coming in and that's why uh, getting a, a client would be great and um, to work on your business, uh, for me, is $10,000 a month. That's my retainer. That's paid at the front of every month. Uh, six-month contract is probably ideal, but we can do a three-month. Um, so just to get some cash coming in the pipe. Uh, but anyways, I'm just enjoying the process of all this stuff uh, as well. But yeah, no, it's like... <laughs> especially... Do not allow people in your life to reverse the work that you've done. So I've got six years of sweat equity into my company. So how many years of sweat equity do you have in your company? And do not let people reverse your work. That is, you know, they need to learn from you or they need to be filtered and get out. So you need to protect your house. Yeah, so the number two, oh man, the good old boy. He's just reminding me of one of my friends right now. To the point of like oh mumbles go do it off on your own but you're missing i'm the opportunity right here i said that to him the other day he's like oh it's hard to find money as an opportunity it's like dude what is you not seeing <laughs> so um okay informing me that he and good old boy were unilaterally canceling our commission agreement and that all deals we had talked about were officially off i thought it was rather ridiculous action on their part since i had produce no less than four legitimate serious prospective purchasers for their properties. Wow. And these are people you just don't want to work for. You want to stay away from these people. In fact, I protect the the future of my time against all people like this. And uh, if you have to deal with stuff like this, that's where I come in as a mediator. I'll slice through all the bullshit, get right down to what's important and get us an action plan moving forward and bridge your gap between multiple parties. Um, for the greater good of everyone. In the meantime, I was able to get my Cleveland buyer to make his 1.1 million official offer official, so I had another major decision to make. Should I stop throwing good money after bad, or was my investment in mes- Memphis already so big that he couldn't afford to stop trying to put a deal together? I decided to try just one more time, but promised myself come hell or high water that this would be the last trip I'd make down to the land of mumbles and good old boy. Jeepers crumpets. I explained to my... Yeah, I guess where I'm finding a sense of my... I'm getting a bit of a knack for um, second generation wealth and multi-generation wealth and I'm just kind of like done with these old guys and the tyrants of the fields Um, because end of the day my role so far has been like just get the old guy to cash the check i just i write the check prepare the check half a million dollars every month get the old guy to sign it i take the check go to the bank in my convertible bmw then the company has money boom then i disperse said money uh, do everyone's payroll and there we go (laughs) that's what i've done for 20 years kind of thing and that's just kind of how it works so i'm just glad i get to share that information with you Because money isn't this mirage and thing and oh, can I make it into the woo-wee-woo or whatever. Um, Yeah. I explained to my now extremely panicked type number two Memphis friends that my buyer was very serious about going through a quick closing on the properties at one million point one million figure. And that's when Memphis Mumbles told me in no uncertain terms that my commission had actually been at the root of blowing up each of the other deals, and that there was no way I could expect to make a hundred and forty thousand dollar fee unless I was able to get the offering price up to the original one point two million asking price. Taking very talking very clearly from this first time, Mumbles let me know that even though He was impressed with my Learjet. He had no desire to help pay for it. Ah, and that's when, that's where, uh, a lot of mavericks—they like like me. I I don't. I never wanted to be known. I don't want to be known. I prefer just making my autopilot money, going to the park with my cat, uh, getting married, having kids, being a good father, being a, a good Samaritan in our community, and playing golf. Uh, with my pitching wedge in the backyard and building my computers, <laughs> so I, I've never chased the fame and whatever. But you got to be careful when people see your success; uh, they um, they use it against you with your material things. Um, but in the city of Vancouver, British Columbia, you need a bit of bourgeois, if you know what I'm saying. You need a bit of like attraction uh, in a city full of charlatans and paper money. So. It's having that good balance between, yeah, showing that, hey, I am legit, I am the real yo, but at the same time, I don't have gold fever. I'm not here to threaten you, I'm not here to take your battle chest, sir, but I am here to get paid, make no mistake. We're all playing the same games, tic-tac-toe. I had a decision to make. I had already made an incredible six trips to Memphis, including four trips with serious buyers and had produced four written offers. Holy! In each of these three cases, the dynamic duo for Memphis had fiddled around until the offer slipped away. Now I knew that the fourth one was also about to be lost if something didn't happen pretty quick. I knew there was no way that I was ever going to get lured back into making another trip to Memphis or even submitting the property to another prospective buyer if Cleveland offered in close. I therefore considered the deal to be a lost cause and rationalized that if I could make anything at all, I would look upon it as just a lucky bonus. Okay, that's a good to attitude. Uh, After several hours of negotiations, I finally agreed to a commission of $75,000 on the sales price of $1.1 million. We drew up a new commission agreement similar to the first one except for a clause which stated that the Memphis sellers agreed to accept a price of $1.1 million from the Cleveland buyer and that they would pay me $75,000 commission if the deal was finalized. The Cleveland buyer subsequently put his $1.1 million offer in writing and we immediately began working towards a closing. But as we neared the closing, both my attorney and I began to have difficulty getting either of the sellers on the telephone, a sure sign of trouble. Finally, on Friday before the first closing, the sale was to take place in two stages since the second property was not yet completed my attorney and i managed to get a hold of good old boy on the phone he was his old joy self darn near slapping me on the back right through the telephone and indicated as far as he knew everything was all set he said he didn't foresee any problems with my commission and even reassured us that we were still good old boys in his eyes and this is like some of my tenants i have a tenant right now um a customer uh you know just trust me no i don't trust you bro i don't trust you you earn my trust when the money comes in every day and you don't have late payments and that is built over time and that's experience speaking And uh, if you're a landlord property manager, you best recognize what I just said to you and adopt that uh, mindset. Lots of foolery in the rental game. At that advanced stage of learning, I interpreted this statement uh, to mean that I would soon be the victim of a commission to talk to me if I didn't move fast. I felt that my posture contained in a slight puncture in this particular deal, so I tried a new twist. Since one of the sellers, good old boy, was an attorney and since my own attorney had already had several discussions with good old boy and the sellers' attorney, I thought perhaps it would be a good idea to totally rely on the unwritten, universally attorney-to-attorney respect law. I called it an audible at the line and sent my attorney to the Memphis closing alone, figuring that in this one situation it was I who was the weak link. At the closing, my attorney presented a copy of the signed commission agreement to both sellers' attorney and the title company company handling the proceedings. The seller's attorney then asked my lawyer to kindly wait in the reception room, another sure sign of trouble, while the buyer and sellers talked. Believe it or not, the parties then processed to close the sale in my attorney's absence. The buyer had tried to cooperate with me in every which way possible, but had taken the usual ostrich approach that the matter of my commission was between the sellers and me. I, I really empathize for this guy writing this. This is like, I don't want to deal with anything like this. Ever. I don't need to. He did insist that my name be inserted in the purchase contract as to the broker of record, but since that agreement also stated that it was the seller's responsibility to pay my commission. The buyer had properly assumed it would be paid right after the closing. Unfortunately, he was wrong. At, the, at this time, it was my attorney who had got caught sucking his thumb and playing with his yo-yo in the reception room while the real game was being played behind closed doors. Another new curve had been thrown at me in the jungle. I never considered the possibility of legal men faking me out by allowing a closing to occur on one hand and at the same time being party to a plot and blatantly deceive a fellow attorney. Yeah, I'm the attorney in my world. Fuck that. The unwritten universal attorney to attorney respect law had failed for the first time. After I heard about it, I just shook my head and thought to myself, maybe someday I would realize that the number of ways a seller can think of to do a broker out of his chip is infinite, exactly. That's why I control all the pieces, and I refuse to operate any way else, and that is the way it's going to be. Take it or leave it. (sighs) To top everything off, the day after closing I received a certified letter from the seller's lawyer saying the commission agreement was terminated for breach on my part. Holy fuck. And that it was completely null and void. It was obvious and absurd letter, but it was quite a learning experience. The letter was dated the day after good old boy had assured me my attorney and me over the phone that everything was all set. It was postmarked on the Sunday one day after it was written, making it obvious that the sellers had intended for it to ab- arrive subsequent to the closing, which was scheduled to take place on Monday. In other words, good old boy was telling my lawyer over the phone that he didn't foresee any problems with my commission. He and Mumbles were already planning to send me a letter claiming that I wasn't entitled to any commission at all. Holy fuck. And this, you need to recognize that this is the real world. This is the jungle. This is what happens. This is what people do. Okay. They will use you to do the work, and then what's time you get paid, they will work so that you don't get paid. And the sooner you recognize that's just the way it is, the sooner you're equipped to say, Hey, is being an entrepreneurship for me? If you're trying to scale to a million and make the big boy table like Big Jesse is here, you're going to have to deal with this stuff. Then at the closing, the sellers and their attorneys had actually tricked my attorney – holy crap – at the closing, the sellers and their attorney actually tricked my attorney out of the room and hurried through the proceedings before he realized what was going on. I had been through some pretty crummy situations before, both during and after my days at Screw You, but I had never seen anything quite like this. For overall, type number two, treachery, it's true that no one – ever quite measured up to my st louis cellar but for sheer diabolical plotting deception and all-out effort i had never conceived of anything like what took place in memphis i wasn't shocked that the principals were trying to cheat me out of my commission just awed by the extent to which they were willing to go to try out maneuver me in any effort to offset the legal tools i possessed. Let me do that again, i never conceived anything like what took place in it. I wasn't shocked that the principals were trying to cheat me out of my commission, just awed by the extent to which were willing to go to try out maneuver me in any effort to offset the legal tools i possessed. My attorney took the matter personally since unwritten universal attorney-attorney respect law had been violated. (laughs) He sent the seller's attorney a letter in which stated among other things that his, the seller's attorney letter was unfounded and ridiculous, that it was too late, that he should not have been communicating directly with another attorney's client and that if he, my attorney, had ever treated another attorney the way he, the seller's attorney, and good old boy had treated him, my attorney, he, my attorney, would expect to be up before the bar association, but the game did not end there. Fortunately, the smaller of the two properties had yet to be closed because the construction and occupancy requirements were not yet completed. My attorney and I were lucky enough to find a brilliant young trial lawyer in Memphis to take my case, and I must say that it had not been for his aggressiveness and quick action, I might have never seen a dime. Let's see here. I must say that. Had it not been for his aggressiveness and his quick action, I might have never seen a dime. Now this is where like having good salesmen on your team, like offensive players, is important. Super important. And you got to have that like want to grind for those daily profits. Uh, and if that's you, uh, I've got work for you. He managed to get an attachment against the owners and the property involved in the second closing. Although I had put up a bond to help accomplish it, unlike Dayton, I had moved swiftly and with some good fortune had managed to avert a total catastrophe. I was able to do this only because I had those three great legal tools in my bag, real estate license, commission agreement, and certified mail, and had not allowed myself to become lax. In addition to suing the two sellers, I also sued the title company, About a week after the suit was filed, I wrote a letter to the president of the title company telling him that I thought it was incredible that an institution the size of his firm would be party to such deception. I again put him on notice about the commission agreement that existed between the sellers and me and enclosed another copy of it. I also said that I was holding him personally responsible for seeing to it that my commission was paid at the second closing. Incredibly, though my commission was not paid at the closing either, although the court did hold up the proceeds of the sale. Shortly after the year in which I closed the deal, the sellers undoubtedly out of financial desperation made a $50,000 settlement offer. My Memphis attorney encouraged me not to be in any hurry to accept the offer and I probably should have listened to him, but the day before the first depositions were to be taken, I accepted it. That's a lot of bullshit to deal with up for 50 G's, man. Screw that. Screw that. I ain't getting involved in nothing. That's. Fuck. The the emotional pain, just try to empathize the emotional pain what uh, uh, Mr. Ringer had to go through for that. Like, the guy's just trying to get paid, you know? He's got a business. But here, the way you protect yourself from that is you have multiple deals on the go. Once again, I had examined the downside closely. It was more than just a matter of principle. The sellers, like so many other sellers with whom I had dealt with, were in shaky financial condition. I had to consider the possibility of of their going broke in that the event I probably wouldn't be able to collect anything at all. Also, there was the usual advantage for the side in the wrong. The case could take several years to go through the courts while I expected thousands of dollars in legal fees, travel expenses and other costs as well as mental stress which nobody talks about as a result even if i won i probably would be lucky to come out with a net of 50 g's this is a good example of why i emphasize that the main purpose of real estate licenses brokerage brokerage agreements and certified mail is an is to avoid having legal problems to avoid lawsuits the guy you're dealing with decides to crash your civil defense even when he knows that you have all the legal tools on your side. The reality is that you'll probably still be a loser if you have to go the whole route and win it through the courts. You either win in the jungle or you don't win at all. The Memphis deal reaffirmed the fact that sellers particularly type number twos will go to We'll go to absolutely an extreme to avoid paying commissions. In addition, it once again reminded me that banks, title companies, and other great American institutions have built their corporate empires on human blood and that I should not get lulled into a false sense of security just because they happen to be involved in, in any given deal. Finally, it put me on guard to the fact that just because a guy happened to be an attorney, that didn't mean he was above being a party to a devious plot to do me out of my commission. Yeah, this is ethics. This was certainly an unusual role for legal men. He normally just played a good clean game of hard-nosed defense. But it was another new jungle danger to me to watch out for in the future. hmm hmm And I correlate this. Okay, so let's here have a second for Jesse McDougall here. Sim- like, simultaneously attacked by four different parties. Litigation. Because they knew we were making money. So they build up a case, false case, and boom, come after you and try to take you down. That's how it works, man. That's the game. And... Uh, I kind of brushed it off because I realized how much of a joke it was. But now that I look back at it and I'm reflecting, pff, it's pretty serious. It's like, is, is that ever going to happen to anyone else here? Anyone else in the room? How many people? Okay, fantastic. Uh, so I need to um, communicate this experience. All in all, though, I was somewhat satisfied with the outcome in Memphis. I had spotted good old boy and mumbles as type number twos from the very beginning. Okay, great. So he's not being so hard on himself. He's recognizing what he actually did right. And he knew he was doing dealing with two number twos from the very beginning. And so that's in my industry, uh, internet marketing, affiliate marketing, it's filled with scumbags, man. Scumbags and just people who aren't talented. And who just you know, that's the way it goes. That's why I want to control everything. Uh, I think it's also uh, pretty disgusting uh, that nobody's offered me a job in our industry. I find it entertaining, but I think the the real people kind of know what's where I'm headed. So uh, type number twos from the very beginning had just played along with their act. I had also no. I had also not only secured all necessary legal tools, but as, well, but as was not the case in Dayton, once I saw the sellers swinging their axe, I had taken swift action. True, the sellers had managed to nip off ends of a couple of my fingers, but I, at least I had been quick enough to be able to walk away with sufficient chips to be able to afford a new paint job on my badly scarred shell. Thank you for sharing that, Mr. Ringer. And that is going to conclude uh, this chapter, which is The Tortoise Returns to True Form. So let's think. Do the right thing. you got to have your, your ducks in a row, man. That's all I'm trying to do. Okay, guys, uh, there's one more uh, section coming up. And uh, then we're going to complete this mini-series, Winning Through Intimidation, and I'm feeling great. I'm feeling a bit of nice positive energy and momentum coming. Uh, I feel strong in a mental place. I do need to get some cash coming into the machine, but uh, believe in the process and stay true to yourself. And uh, keep emitting positive frequencies and find your true customer. All right, guys. Take care. Comb your hair.